Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. So Matthew chapter 4, and we will begin reading in verse 23. And the word of the Lord reads, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. The 19th century Scottish minister Robert Murray McShane once wrote, the Christian is to be a person who makes it easy for others to believe in God. You see, Troy was just an average young man. He grew up in an average home. He had who had average parents who made an average income. And he was the youngest of, of three children, and he was an average high school kid who, who went to an average high school. And he did average things. He played a little football. He loved to fish and to hunt. And he liked to party with his friends on the weekend. And when he grew up, he got married. He had some kids. And he, um, as an adult, he had several jobs. Troy was known as a hard worker. Um, and he was also a very likable guy. Everybody, everybody loved Troy. He was, he was funny. He was charismatic. He was, he was really just a lot of fun to be around. And Troy worked really long hours, and, 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 and he worked really hard, but, but he lived for the weekends. He lived to party with his friends. He loved to drink, and he, he loved to drink a lot. And, uh, um, you know, but as time went on, you know, drinking became more of a habit than, than a, an advocation. It wasn't so much that he wanted to drink, it became the point where he needed to do so. And then through his, his party life, he made some new friends, and a particular friend introduced him to his brand new obsession, methamphetamines. And soon, his life began to change, and at first it was really subtle, right? But his behavior became more and more erratic as time went on, and, and, and he began to struggle with his everyday life. And it wasn't long before his wife had left him, and it wasn't long before he began to have trouble at work, and he became more and more undependable to the point where his boss had to let him go. And within a short amount of time, Troy went from being the guy that everybody loved to hang around with to the guy that everybody despised. Because his addiction consumed his entire life, and it destroyed all of his relationships. And even his parents had gotten to the point where they had to cut him off. There would be no more money. There would be no more place to live. There would be no more support for him. He had to make it on his own. And, and because of the consequences of his own actions, Troy found himself homeless and sleeping on people's couches. He, did, he didn't have a car, driving a, uh, I mean, riding a, a beat-up bike everywhere he went. And the only work that he could find was odd jobs working for a couple of shady contractors who barely paid him what he was worth. And, uh, and worst of all for him, he was about to lose custody of his daughter that he had been raising by himself, you know, every, um, 
since, since she was just a few months old because her mom was not in the picture. And in addition to that, the drugs began to take a toll on his body physically. He looked like walking death. In fact, um, he was once a strong man. This, at this point in his life, he, weighed, he uh, stood at 5 foot 8 inches tall and weighed about 110 pounds. And you could see the outline and the features of his skull underneath his skin. And his body was covered with those telltale sores. And again, nobody wanted to be around him. And fewer and fewer people were there to help him. And, and Troy's world began to collapse in on itself. And it seemed like that Troy would, would either soon be in prison or in the grave. He was truly hopeless. And I mentioned Troy's story because it is really the picture of the world that we have been born into. A world of regular people who live regular lives. People who do regular things. Right? But who also experience deep brokenness. People who fall into deep hurt and deep heart-wrenching brokenness. Because the fact is that we live in a world that certainly is full of opportunities and is certainly full of wonder, but at the same time the world is broken because of sin. We might be normal people who live normal lives and we also you know, are certainly created in the image of God, but we are still fallen, broken people in a fallen, broken world. Just look around you. Now, not everybody's story is as dramatic as Troy's, but we have all experienced brokenness. You have experienced brokenness. Your mom and your dad have experienced brokenness. Your grandparents, your children, your neighbors, your coworkers, even the strangers on the street, every one of them has experienced in their own way deep brokenness. Everyone experiences deep pain. Everyone experiences the real world effects of sin in our lives. Now, some of that is certainly self-inflicted, right? Because of the choices we make and the temptations that we give into, right? But some of it's at the hands of other people or maybe circumstances in the world around us like accidents or, or even natural disasters. But the fact is we experience brokenness because of the effects of sin. It is universal, Everyone is touched by it. It is all around us. If you will go and look in this community, you will see it. It won't take very long for you to notice it. You will see the devastating effects of addiction. You will see the trauma from the effects of divorce and infidelity. You will see the effects of violence and greed. You will see the effects of laziness and apathy. You will see the effects of, of open rebellion against God. But the problem is, that for many of us, it's really kind of easy for us to insulate ourselves, um, to a certain degree at least. It's easy for us to live normal lives with, with normal responsibilities and, and normal routines. I mean, I mean, we have our own problems to be, to be sure, but, but at least we're, we're, we're not like, as we tell ourselves, those people. At least I'm not an addict like them. At least I'm not a sexual deviant like, like them. At least I'm not a thug and, and, a, and violent like them. At, at least I don't always you know, have my hand out. At least you know, I take care of my kids. At, at least I don't do, and you just fill in the blank. We can create the list as long as you want it to be. It's easy for us to see what's happening in the world around us as a them thing. 
It's easy for us to look at people like Troy and think, well, that's what happens. That's what happens when, when you mess with drugs. That's, that's what happens when you party too much. That is what happens to you when you fall into addiction. That's what happens when you make those kinds of choices. And, and, and the fact is, is on some level, that's the truth. It is the truth. That's what happens when you make bad decisions, when you pursue openly your sin. But does that make, that, make them really any different than us? Not to mention there are lots of people out there who are there because of someone else's bad choices. They're not there because they did something wrong. They're there because they fell into bad circumstances. Their their brokenness and their desperation isn't something that happened because of their choices. It happened to them. But but even then, it's easy for us to insulate ourselves from that because we're just so busy. And, and you know, really, the problem is just so big, and I just really don't have that much to offer. I mean, it's, it's not even my problem. I, I mean, as heart-wrenching it is what these kids are going through, it's, it's not my problem. I don't have time for this. I don't, I don't have the money to help. I don't have the emotional energy to invest in this. I have my own problems. I have my own concerns. Not to mention what I do. Will it really actually help? Will it actually make a difference in the end? It's, it almost seems... Pointless is how we feel. But here's the thing. As we've been talking in this series, Jesus came in the world on a mission. He came into the world to do what? To save sinners. That's right. To save them from the penalty of their sin, to save them from the power of sin in their active lives, and to save them from the presence and the effects of sin. That is what he came to do. And for the worst of them, He came to rescue sinners. And in part one, we discovered that this mission that Jesus is on, it was the mission that you and I were called to. We were not saved simply for ourselves. We were saved to participate in the mission of Christ. And the way that we do that, as we talked about in part two, is that we make disciples. Jesus says, go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations. He says, preach the gospel to every creature. Jesus calls us to make disciples of everyone, which means we are to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. We're to help them to get plugged into the body of Christ, and we're to teach them to go out and then make more disciples. That is your part. That is my part in the mission of Christ. And then last week, we talked about that God has actually uniquely equipped us for this task. God has already made you into what you need to be in order to accomplish this task. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you were supernaturally transformed into something new. Salvation is a supernatural, radical transformation in your very nature. As the Bible tells us, we have become a new creation. And Jesus said, you are, not you will be, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, which means, number one, you're not like the rest of the world. Because you're radically different. Number two, if you are in Christ, you are, exactly, you are exactly what the world around you needs. The world around you needs the preserving influence of Christ in you. The world around you needs the light of Christ to shine through you. Which means, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then every interaction you have with another human being is an opportunity for them to experience and encounter God through you. Because as salt and light, you are Christ's representative everywhere you go. God called you to be on mission, and he equipped you to accomplish it. 
Now, if you missed any part of this series so far, um, I might be actually going a little bit fast for you, and you might be thinking, well, there's a lot of things that, that, that we need to still talk about that we already did talk about. And so I want to encourage you, when you get a moment, to go back and listen to the, the parts of this series that you missed, and you can do that by either going to our SoundCloud page or our church website, or if you want to fill out one of those information request cards and request one of them old-fashioned CD things, um, it's just, it was a joke, um, if you want a, a CD, I'll be happy to burn you a copy of that. Um, but listen to the parts that you've missed, and that way you have a better understanding of, of what we're talking about here. And, uh, and if, it, if you get something out of it, by all means, share it with your friends. But the fact is that Jesus came to save sinners. You were called to help in that effort by making disciples, and God equipped you, um, and he transformed you what you need to be to fulfill that mission. So what does it have to do with Troy? Well, there are still two questions in this series that we have not addressed to this point, which is about, you know, number one, where does this mission take place? You know, is it is something local? Is it something global? And then number two, how do I accomplish this mission? I mean, we know what the mission is and we know what our part is supposed to be, but, but where, you know, is this mission and how do we accomplish this mission? And today we're going to begin to answer those questions. We won't fully answer them, but we will begin to answer them. And as we do, you'll begin to see how this all fits together, including how it relates to Detroit. And so, turn with me again to Matthew chapter 4. Now, before we get into the text, it's important for us to remember that, as you are aware, that the book of Matthew was written with a very clear purpose in which and that was to declare that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the king. That's the reason why Matthew wrote it. It's all pointed to the fact that Jesus is the king. And beginning in chapter 5, this is where Jesus preaches his Sermon on the Mount, where he tells his followers as the king what kingdom life is going to be like. And kingdom life is radically different than the rest of the world. It's radically different. I mean, when, you ha- when, when he's telling you to love your enemies, it's radically different. When he says... You know, that you were to live a higher standard than the rest of the world, it's radically different, right? And so he says the world, living in the kingdom is radically different, and his followers can live that kind of life because they have been saved. When they are saved, they've gone and been transformed into something new. They have been transformed to where they can live that radically different life. Jesus changes us. Now, here in Matthew chapter 4, in the beginning, uh, Matthew talks about the temptation of Jesus Christ. This is really the beginning of his ministry. Talks about how the, the devil tempted him and, um, and he spent 40 days in the wilderness. And then he talks about the very beginning of his ministry where Jesus opens up and the first thing he preaches is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he begins to talk about uh, Jesus calling his very first disciples. And then Matthew explains what Jesus began to do during his his earthly ministry, from the very beginning. And that's where we are, verse 23. And it says, And he went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted in various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea 
and from beyond the Jordan. Now, the thing that I want you to notice in this text is that from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, from the very start, there's two things he does. Two important things. In fact, again, look at verse 23. Matthew says, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing diseases and every affliction among the people. In this text, Jesus reveals to us his method for, revealing, for, for reaching the lost. And his method for reaching the lost is twofold. Number one, he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom of God. And number two, he healed people in their afflictions and diseases, which means he met people's needs. That's what Jesus did. He proclaimed the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then he met their physical needs. He healed diseases and afflictions, and he cast out demons, and he eased their pains. And this is important for us to understand, because Jesus didn't simply just come out proclaiming things. Right? He didn't come to the earth simply to declare, thus saith the Lord, which he could have. But no, he did something more. Not only did he preach the gospel, he met people where they were, in their pain, in their misery, and notice he did something about it. He healed them. He reached out to them. He met them in their physical needs. Now, by the same token, Jesus didn't come simply to, to, uh, to heal people and send them away like some supernatural doctor, like, hey, take two of these and call me in the morning. Right? No. Not only did he heal them, not only did he meet their needs, he also proclaimed the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He told them about the kingdom of heaven. In fact, he told people what we tell people today. Repent and believe the gospel. That's what he told them. Turn from your sin and, 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 and then he turned from your sin and believe. That's how he reached people. And, and as followers of Jesus Christ, this is the pattern that he set for us. We are to proclaim the gospel and help people meet needs. Now, this is the part sometimes some people begin to push back a little bit. And they'll say, well, wait a minute. Jesus was doing miracles. He was doing supernatural acts, right? Those aren't the things that we can do. Not to mention the fact that the reason why even Jesus did those in the first place, you know, he did that so that he could demonstrate his power and establish his credibility of who he was. Yes, right? But first what you need to understand is these miracles that Jesus did, right? They did, he did them because they're, but, but he's Jesus, right? But, but understand, he didn't just simply perform random supernatural acts. I mean, I mean, he didn't just, you know, call down, you know, with his word, a gigantic earthquake, though he could have. He didn't simply speak a word and turn the sun purple, though he absolutely could have. He didn't just simply, like, you know, snap his fingers and have the entire Roman army, you know, uh, disappear, though he could have, because he is the sovereign lord of all the universe. He didn't do any of that. In fact, the vast majority of his miracles, beyond the resurrection and, and walking on water, the vast majority of his miracles was to meet someone's immediate need. He turned water into wine. Why? Because they ran out at the wedding and the master of the ceremony would look like a fool. He would be ridiculed. He would be shamed. And so Jesus met that need, as strange as it might be for us. He also calmed the storm. Why? Because his 
His disciples were in immediate danger. He healed people of their illnesses. He cured people's blindness and their deafness. He healed twisted and lame limbs. He helped mute people speak. He helped paralytics walk again. He cured people's diseases like leprosy. He even rose some people from the dead. And in each one of those situations, there was somebody who was in a desperate need. And Jesus had compassion on them, and he met their need. And what I want you and I to understand is though we may not be able to do miracles, we absolutely can and we absolutely should work to help meet other people's needs. We should work to connect with people in their brokenness. We should work to try to solve their problems, though we might not solve them all. We can absolutely try to do so. We can at least be there. We can at least be a shoulder to cry on. We can certainly be there to show them love, which is really the motivation behind the miracles. It was to demonstrate the love of God. Because what's the message that Jesus brings? The message is this, is that you're dead in your sins. You can't fix it. And so you're hopeless. But God so loved the world, right? It's the gospel, that you're born a sinner, that, and you rebel against God in your very nature, and because of that, because you're in your sin, one day you will face the awful judgment and wrath of God, and there's nothing you can do to fix it. You can't be good enough, you can't do enough good deeds, you can't be compassionate enough or loving enough, you can't feed enough homeless people, and you can't rescue enough puppies, Right? You can't do enough to erase the stain of your sin. You are hopeless, an enemy of God, and the wrath of God abides on you, but God so loved the world. God loved you so much that he gave his only son, and whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And as evidence of God's love, the Father sent the Son to minister and to meet the needs of people. Miracles were part of the message. The ministry of mercy and the preaching of the gospel is the declaring of the same message. God loves you, so repent and believe and be saved. And I want you to notice in verse 24, it says, And so his fame spread throughout Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted, with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics. And he healed them. Every, and great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. And the thing that I, that I think you should notice and understand and certainly embrace is that Jesus did both of these things everywhere he went. In Jerusalem, in the whole region of Galilee, the Decapolis, which is the, the area known as the Ten Cities, and beyond the Jordan. Everywhere Jesus went, he proclaimed the gospel and he met people's needs. Everywhere he went. And what that tells us is that's how it's supposed to be for us. Right? As we said before, the short answer to the where question is everywhere. 
You're to do your part for the cause of Christ and to fulfill your duty to make disciples everywhere you go. And that means at home and in your neighborhood and at work or at school and at the grocery store when you go to Lancaster or when you go to Los Angeles or some other big city or when you go, you know, wherever you go, whether, whether it's at work or the Little League field or whether you're on vacation, everywhere you go you have an opportunity to help meet the needs of other people and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you might say, well, wait a minute. I thought, you know, Jesus wanted us to, to make this about, you know, make disciples all over the world. I thought this was about global missions, right? And, and you're right. Part of the mandate is global missions. And, uh, and we are certainly called to participate in global missions. And we're going to talk about that next week. But here and now, what we can learn from Jesus right now is that he preached the gospel and he met people's needs everywhere he went Every place that he went, he was doing two things. Preaching and loving. Preaching and meeting people's needs. And Jesus did this for every person, every class of person that he encountered. This is really, really important. He did this for every class of person he encountered, regardless of who they are. Jews and Gentiles alike. For the powerless and also for the powerful. In fact, in Matthew chapter 8, we read the story of a Roman centurion, a powerful person coming to Jesus, asking for a servant to be healed, and Jesus did it. But then in chapter 9, we read about the poor woman who had spent all of her money trying to get healed of some infirmity that she couldn't get rid of, and he healed her too. Jesus healed the rich and the poor. He healed people with influence and those who had none. Jesus ministered to everyone, and, he, and as he did, he did both. By declaring the gospel and ministering to their needs. And, and, and when I say everyone, I mean everyone. Including those people who appreciated what he did and those people who didn't appreciate what he did. In fact, uh, Luke chapter 17, we read a, a, a story of how Jesus healed ten lepers. And I'll just read it for you really quickly. It says, And he was going into a village Ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. He healed them. But notice, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice, and he threw himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan, which means he was really not somebody Jewish people liked. And Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Now here's the thing. In this story, only one man came back to thank Jesus for what he did but he healed all of them. Now the reason why this is important is, is because, is because let's, just, let's just face it. Sometimes loving people and trying to meet their needs can be hard. Sometimes you reach out to love someone and care for them only to have them to be ungrateful to you. Or even worse, that they demand more out of you. Or they take your mercy and your generosity and they turn it around on you and, and use it against you. I think you probably know a little bit about what I'm talking about. I mean, you probably tried to help people who, who really didn't want to be helped, right? 
We've tried to help people who just simply take and take and take and take and take with no hint of, of giving back. We all know people that, that, that we work to help that just simply refuse to get better. People who refuse to get off the drugs. People who refuse to go into programs. People who refuse to get a job. People who refuse to do right by their family. They just expect that people are going to continue to take care of them. It kind of begins to wear on us a little bit. Kind of frustrates us. In some fact, it can even make us jaded. Right? To the to the to where we where we just think it's not worth it. This is stupid. I'm tired of people taking advantage of me. People don't appreciate what we do for them. So why should I continue to minister to other people who don't appreciate it? Well, that's exactly what Jesus did. He helped people who were ungrateful. He helped people who didn't say thank you. He helped people who never even acknowledged him as the king. And he even helped people who were disobedient to him. I mean, over and over again, you read these stories about Jesus healing someone. He says, what do he say? Now, don't go tell anybody. And what do they do? They go right out and they, they just flagrantly disobey what Jesus said to do. And here's the thing. Jesus is God in the flesh, and so he already knows. Right? They're not going to obey him, but he heals them anyway. And even more than that, Jesus ministered to his own enemy. The night before he died, Jesus did something that shocked the disciples, right? During dinner, he gets up, he takes a towel, wraps it around his waist, gets on his knees and begins to wash his disciples' feet, right? And you have to understand, this is not something that's fit, you know, for the average person to do. This is a lowly servant's job, right? So this is certainly not something a king is supposed to do. I mean, people walked everywhere they went, and their feet got nasty and dirty, and it was just an expectation. You go to someone's house, they're going to provide you with, with water and a servant, a lowly servant, to wash your feet. It was reserved for the least important people in society. But that's what he does. He gets down on his knees, and he washes his, his, the, the, the dirty feet of his followers in an act of humble, gracious, loving service. And he did that for all of them. I want you to hear me. All of them, including Judas. You see, this, this is before he tells Judas to go do what he needs to do. This is before they actually eat. Right? He does this even for Judas. He washes Judas' feet in act of humble service. Now, I want you to let that sink in. Okay? Jesus willingly demonstrated love for and served the very one who was going to bring about his death. The one who would betray him. The one who would walk up to him and say, Rabbi, and give him a kiss on the cheek right before he was arrested. Right? Jesus even served his enemy. Right? And, and, and you had to know that he, he was preaching the gospel even to Judas. Right? He was there. For, for three and a half years, he'd heard the gospel over and over again, but yet Judas' heart was hard and he betrayed him. Now, this is important, I think, because sometimes we get so frustrated that we just don't want to help other people because it just seems like it doesn't make a difference. It seems like people's hearts are just so hard. Sometimes we, we want to share the hope of Christ and people that we minister to and, and we meet their needs and it just seems so fruitless. It seems like, you know what? They just... Don't want to get better. They're, they're hardened. In fact, 
I've even had some people ask me some pointed questions about our food pantry, why we do what we do. Our food pantry gives about, about 200 to 500 pounds of food a week when we have it. Two to 500 pounds of food a week when we have it. And, and, and the need just continues to, to grow. The pantry is supported by our church family, but the largest support comes from the community outside. Right? And our mission for the food pantry is twofold. We want to make sure hungry people get fed, and we want people to hear about the good news of Jesus. And, and our, our philosophy is, is it doesn't matter who they are. If they're hungry, we're going to feed them. If we have the resources to do so, if you're hungry, we're going to feed you. And it doesn't matter, again, who you are, whether you go to church or not, whether you are working or not. If you're hungry, we're going to feed you, and we're going to, 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 to tell you about the love of Christ. That is what we do. And the truth is that most people who get food from the pantry never set foot in the church. And yes, there are probably people who don't really need it. And yes, there are probably people who are taking advantage of us. And, and, and yes, there are probably people who spend their money on alcohol and, and drugs, and then they come to us for food. And there are certainly people who don't say thank you. And there are certainly those who get resentful when we say, that's it. We can't give you any more right now. But we're not doing this for people to say thank you. We're not doing this so that people will like us and think that we're just great people. We're not doing this to make, you know, to make sure that only truly the neediest of people actually get the food. We're doing this so that we can proclaim the gospel and meet people's physical needs. We're doing this to talk about and to demonstrate in a very real, practical way the love of God. We are trying to be like Jesus. Because Jesus lived a life of both show and tell. He didn't just talk. He also demonstrated. He talked about the love of God, and he demonstrated the love of God. That's how he reached people. He, he, he both told them, and he also showed them. He proclaimed the gospel, and he, and he loved them and served them and had mercy on them right where they are. Jesus' ministry is twofold. If the, it, is, it was the gospel preaching ministry, but it was also the, mis, the ministry of mercy. He proclaimed the truth, and then he lived it out. He declared the love of God and the mercy of God, and then he, in his actions, he demonstrated that love. And if we're going to be effective, if we are going to be effective in reaching the lost, if we're going to do our part on mission for Christ, then we also need to do both. Because here's the truth. The ministry without the gospel is an absolute waste of time. Missions of mercy and meeting people's needs and loving them where they are. Without the gospel, though, it is good in a humanitarian sense, is a waste of time. Long term, it will be a waste of time. Because it doesn't matter if you feed their bellies. It doesn't matter if you make them feel accepted and loved. It doesn't matter if you help them to overcome their addiction. It doesn't matter if you give them a, a, a safe place to sleep for the night. Though all of those things are important, in the long term, without the gospel, those things don't matter. Because in the big picture, all of it, all of that will be for nothing if they stand before God in their sin. 
and don't know Christ. If they stand before God and a holy and righteous God's wrath abides upon them, right? all that you have done for them, all the good feelings that you have given them, and the experiences they have in that moment will amount to nothing. Because no matter how good of a life might have been for them, or how good the people they think that they are, they will stand before God and they will be found guilty of their sin and the wrath of God will be poured out on them. That is why theology matters. That is why we come back to the foundational truth over and over and over again. The greatest problem a person will face in their life is not going to be hunger. The greatest problem in your life is not going to be your addiction. The greatest problem in your life is not loneliness. It is not you not being able to pay your bills. It is not the fact that you were abused as a child and you struggled to build relationships. The greatest problem is not the lack of social skills. The greatest problem is not that people misunderstand you. The greatest problem that they will face, like every other human being, is the fact that they're a sinner. And one day they will die, and they will stand before a holy and righteous God who will rightly demand justice, and they will stand before him covered in their sin. And there will have no words, this is what the Bible says. There will not be a defense for them. They won't have anything to, to say except to agree with God's decision. And when they look upon the holy and righteous God, they will know what they deserve. And there will be no hope. The only hope for them is to hear the gospel and to repent and believe the truth of Jesus Christ. Their only hope is to trust Jesus who died on the cross to pay the penalty for their sins, who lived a perfect life in order for them to have the righteousness that they need to stand before God without shame. Because those who trust in Christ have been forgiven, praise the Lord. Those who trust in Christ have been acquitted And when they meet God face to face for the first time, they will not be cast into hell. They will be welcomed home like family. Jesus died to give them that hope. Yes, God is a God of wrath and justice, but he is also a God of love and grace. And he made a way for people to be saved. And he made a way to solve their greatest problem. And we just need to share it with them. In fact, I want you to hear me, okay? Loving people and meeting their physical needs without telling them the hope of Jesus Christ is an injustice. It's actually scandalous. Because what we're doing is we're perpetuating a false hope, which is worse. Missions of mercy without the gospel ultimately are a waste of time. But by the same token, ministry without mercy is a waste of breath. Because telling people about Jesus without showing mercy to people is a waste of breath. Because a person starving to death isn't thinking about their need for Jesus in that moment. A person right, who feels rejected by the world isn't going to warm up to someone preaching at them. You just need to repent. The fact is, is that most people in, in our culture, in our country, have already heard it. They've experienced the well-meaning church person tell them, you just need Jesus. They, they have heard that God loves them, but they, just, they struggle to believe that. Right? Because, because how can God love someone like me if, if no one else will? That's why it's important that you show them. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. When these people meet with you, 
There's a potential for them to encounter God through you. And you have the ability to show them the love of God that you're talking about. You have the ability to bring that love to real life. You have the ability by your actions to demonstrate in the world today that that, that God loves them. We must tell them, but also show them. That's how it was for Troy. He desperately needed Jesus. And he was at a place where he needed some physical help too. He needed food. He needed a place to stay. He needed a place to take a shower. But most importantly, he needed someone to love him. Because he felt completely alone. He felt like he was unwanted, like he was undeserving. He felt deeply ashamed of who he was, and so he was truly hopeless. And so Troy reached out to his older brother. He didn't reach out because he wanted to talk about Jesus. He reached out because he wanted a few bucks to get by just one more day. And so he mustered up the courage, and he called him and got his voicemail and left him a message. Now, on the other end of that, Troy's brother... Um, was a fairly new Christian, and he was excited about his faith, and he was excited about showing the love of God to, to people around him. In fact, that weekend, um, Troy's brother and, and, and his wife went to uh, Las Vegas to a convention, and it was summertime, and they knew, like, it's summertime, up to 15, there's going to be lots of people who are broke down, and so they bought a bunch of water, right? And they wrote a bunch of scriptures on the water bottles, and then as they went up to 15, they stopped. Every time they saw somebody broke down, say, hey, you okay? How you doing? Hey, here's some water. Make sure that you're okay. Do we need to call anybody? They even, they even stopped and changed the tire from, for an older couple. Again, you know, showing the love of God. They were excited, right? And, and, and Troy's brother really felt good about himself, and he was like, it's awesome, right, to share, you know, the love of Christ with people. <laughs> but then, then Troy calls, and, and his attitude changes. And he's like, you know, that just really upsets me. The only time Troy's ever going to call is when he wants something from me. In fact, I'm, I'm sure he's calling because he wants money. Right? And he began to feel this, this sense of self-righteousness because, because Troy was the, the family drug addict. He was the black sheep. He was the no-good family member that made a wreck of his life. And so, so Troy was the person that everybody avoided. But then God... The Holy Spirit pierced his heart and brought conviction because he was willing to share the love of God with perfect strangers, but he wasn't even willing to share it with his own brother. And so he realized he needed to call Troy back. And he did that, and he asked Troy to meet him in a coffee shop so they could sit down and talk, and, 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 and he, was, he was prepared to help Troy with some food and maybe some money, but, but, but he also needed not to just meet his physical needs, but he also needed to share the hope of the gospel. Right? And, and the first one was actually the easy one. I mean, giving people a couple of bucks is easy. You know, giving them some food is easy. But he was a brand new Christian, and he wasn't even sure what, what to say. And, and he wasn't even sure how to talk about the gospel. But he, but he prayed about it, and he asked some people that he knew to pray about it. And then he went, and he met, met Troy. And... As I sat across the table from Troy, and as I looked him in the eyes, I looked at him as not somebody that was a drug addict, and not just simply my irresponsible little brother, but someone who was deeply lost, 
and broken and scared. And my heart broke for him. Not only could I see the features of his skull under his skin, I could see the despair in his eyes. And I knew exactly what Troy needed. Troy absolutely did need some money. And he did need a place to sleep at night. And he did need something to eat. But what he needed more than anything else in that moment was for someone to love him. To love him right where he was. To show him that there is a love that surpasses understanding. That there is a love that is without limits. That there is a love that is abundant and unending. That there is a real, unmerited, grace-given kind of love. He needed to see that the love of God is real. And so in that moment, I put aside all my preconceived ideas about him. I put away all the, all the irritations that I had toward him. I put away my big brother judgments. And I just loved him. I stopped and I, I asked him, how are you doing? Meaning that question, right? What's, what's really going on in your world? And, and, and I sat and I listened. And, and, and as he began to realize that I, was really, I really cared and I wanted to know, he began to then open up. And he began to tell me about the hard times he'd been going through and, and how lost he felt and how, how he was afraid, he was terrified of the future and losing his daughter. And he couldn't even see a way out. And I just sat there and I listened. And when he was done, I reached across the table and I touched his hand and I told him, I don't judge you. I love you. Look me in the eyes, I said. I want you to hear me. Troy, I love you. With all my heart, I love you and I want what's best for you. And at those words, this guy who's trying to be tough and streetwise, he, he melts. He hadn't heard those words in a very long time. And the tears began to flow. And I told him, I know that you need help. And I want to help you. In fact, I'll give you a few bucks. To, I mean, I'll do what I can to, to help you. All right. But it doesn't have to be this way. Because God loves you. And God wants to heal you. He wants to heal you the way he healed me. Though my life is different than yours. Right? I don't know what you're going through, but I have been broken in my own way. And God has changed my life. And I begin to share with him my testimony. And I begin to, to, to tell him about the Bible. And the scriptures just started pouring out of me. And the, really the rest of the conversation is, is like a blur to me. But the next thing you know, we're sitting in my car listening to this DVD of a preacher talking about salvation. And how a person puts their trust in Christ. And then he led this prayer that he asked us to repeat. And my brother sat there with tears running down his face sobbing so hard that he could barely breathe. But he repeated every single word. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm a broken sinner. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against my fellow man. And because of my sin, I deserve to be sent to hell. I deserve your wrath. I deserve your justice. And I admit that I can't fix it. I can't make it right no matter how hard I try. And so, Lord, I'm truly helpless. 
But Lord, you promised that you love me. And you said that, if you, that you love me so much that you sent your son to die for me. And your word says that if I will repent of my sins and believe in your son, Jesus Christ, that you would save me. So, Lord, I repent. I turn from my sins. I declare right now that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I, be, I believe that he lived a perfect life for me. And he died on the cross for me and rose from the dead, proving that I can trust him to save me. Lord, I believe Send your Holy Spirit in my heart to confirm for me that you have rescued me and help me to follow Jesus all the days of my life for he is the Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for Jesus Christ who died to save me. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. And after he said, Amen. It was like a twilight moment, twilight zone moment, because I really wasn't sure what to do next. I never had led anybody to to Christ. I'd never even thought it was possible. But I can remember just thinking, like, I hope he really meant it. I hope this was a real thing in his life. I hope this wasn't just simply some empty confession. But I didn't know what to expect next, but... I felt in my heart I needed to help him, and so I invited him to come stay the night with me and my family so that we could take a shower and he could actually, like, you know, not have to worry about where he's going to, you know, put his head for the night. And that night, Kim and I, again, new to this, we were really anxious, like, like, he's a drug addict. You know, he's capable of doing, like, anything. Are we sure we want him to be in our home? And we're not sure how this is going to work. And, but we decided that we were going to love him anyway through that and be patient through that. But that night, something changed in Troy. It was a radical transformation because he was a drug addict at one moment and then the next he wasn't. I mean, God took it from him like right now. And he went from being completely hopeless to someone who had a brand new lease on life. He had hope. I mean, he had so much hope, right? And he loved being in the church. In fact, one time he was, he, he went to go on a Wednesday night that we couldn't go, and he decided to ride his little beat-up bicycle. And then after the church was over, he comes back carrying his bicycle, and he was beat up. I mean, he was beat up. And I'm like, what happened? He goes, I was on my way to the bicycle, to, to church, and I went over the railroad tracks and popped a wheelie, and the wheel fell off, and then the, the forks hit the ground, and I dumped my bike and got beat up. But the devil ain't going to stop me from going to church. His heart changed. He fell in love with the Word of God, he got plugged into a church, and the next thing you know, he had a steady job, right? And, and then he has transportation, and he gets a place of his own, and he was able to maintain custody of his daughter, and his entire life turned around when he put his hope in Christ. Now, today, 13 years later, Troy is married. All of his kids are all grown up in college and doing their own things. In fact, one of his, his, one of his sons is in the Marines. And he is now the national warehouse manager for the commercial and residential solar division of the Tesla Corporation. But 13 years ago, Troy was either headed to prison or the morgue. But he turned to Christ in faith and everything changed for him. The gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power to save all those who believe, changed everything for him. Troy heard the gospel and believed. But understand, before he would hear the gospel, because he'd heard the gospel many times before. 
before he would hear me talk about the love of God, he needed to see the love of God. And that is what you and I are called to. You and I are called to meet people where they are, in their pain and in their circumstances and in their misery and in their struggles. We need to do both, talk about and demonstrate the love of God, just like Jesus. We're to be ministers to people and we're to meet their needs and and we're to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and we're to do that everywhere we go and we're to do that for every kind of person we run into regardless of who they are. That is what we are all called to do. We're called to do this in our homes. We're called to do this in our neighborhoods, at work, at school, in the community, everywhere we go. We are to let the light shine and proclaim and demonstrate the love of God. And here's the thing. You don't have to go very far to do this because you're surrounded in your own circle of people who are broken and lost and hurting in their own way. People are desperately needing the love of God. People that need to be loved, people that are desperate to, to have real hope, people who desperately need to hear and to see that there is a God in heaven who, who loved them so much that he crushed his own son to save them. And you can bring that light to them. You are the salt that can make that real for them. But will you? The question that we continue to ask throughout this series, and I think that we can close with today, is the same question. And the question is this. Are you, or are you not, all in. You've been called on a mission. Are you or are you not all in for that mission? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the transforming, overwhelming, awesome power of the gospel. I thank you, Lord God, that you can use broken vessels like like me and other people to minister to and meet the needs of other people and then to love them enough to share the hope of the gospel gospel with them. Father, lift our hearts up to that. Empower us to live that. Give us a passion for that. Father, open our eyes to not see people the way that the world sees them. The world sees people as throwaways, as castaways, as, as unimportant. Help us to see the rest of the world the way that you see them. It's real people made in your image your children broken and lost and afraid in this world help us Lord God to connect with them and to know them and to find out what their situation is and to meet them where they are and to find the best way we can to help them at the very least just be there with them and then to proclaim the the goodness and the mercy and the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ change us Lord into that Create revival in this church, Lord God. Use us, Lord, as an instrument, Lord, that goes out into this community and changes this community from top to bottom to where the rest of the world would look and see that there's something happening here. And that through that, Lord, that we'd be able to impact and influence the rest of the world, Father. We love you and we praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. 
Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.